Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Okay, uh, good morning. My name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach. Um, We're starting week two of a series called Redefined based on a book. This is the first copy. It's not even out yet. I just got it in the mail yesterday. Uh, You can actually pre-order it. Uh, It's going to be released on October 4th, uh, written uh, by a friend of mine, um, Dr. Alan Holmes. I don't call him doctor, but he is a doctor. Um, Great guy. I love him. He's been um, just a good friend to me. He pastors a church called Definition Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, but so the next we, if you missed last week, they're online, but we're doing all eight weeks of the Beatitudes. Um, and, uh, it will be a blessing to us if we hear, I mean, this is Jesus's first and longest sermon recorded. And he spends the beginning of it saying the words or how to be blessed. And that's what we're talking about which will clarify that blessing because uh, uh, some churches get the blessing wrong and think the blessing is um, a new car and a new house and a bank account that's full of money, and that's not true. Um, God can bless you with those things, but his blessing is more about his connection to you and the peace that you get from that. So a lot of people, when they think about Christianity, uh, they just think it's another religion with a bunch of rules and rituals created to make God happy. And believe it or not, if you grew up in the South, a lot of us are trapped in that kind of circle or cycle that we constantly feel like we have to do the things so that we can make God happy so that he'll love us instead of just trusting, believing that God will make in us what he desires. You know, the first century Jews were in the same thing. They were determined desperately to keep the law, but they were still far away from God. And some of these were some of the best law keepers around. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came so that we could be reunited with God and so that he could reproduce in us his life. As we learn to be with Jesus, we become like him and begin to do what Jesus did. This is faith redefined. That is the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He's going to convince us that a life with him, surrendered to him, is going to be the best life that we can live. Last week, we learned that step one in this road to being blessed is humility. We must recognize that apart from Jesus, we are spiritually bankrupt. We need God. We must throw ourselves at the mercy of God. So today we're going to take step number two, which is not going to be pretty. It's called brokenness. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Coming to a place that I acknowledge my sin, that I take responsibility for my rebellion... I'm broken over the condition of my heart and my soul and the pain that it has caused me and the ones that I love. Let 
And we're going to see that over and over again with the people that we're going to talk about from going back to the prodigal son, which we'll re, kind of review in just a second, looking at David, the difference between Saul and David, looking through um, a conversation in Second Corinthians. We'll see this idea, but we have to understand when we humble ourselves, when we re, when we mourn for our sin, that we have a God who desires to bring us comfort, <laughs> Not the other way around, which we'll see. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something about me that you may not know about. And if you've not known me long, and if you know me in these circles, you're, you may be shocked about this. Building some, like, ooh, what's he going to tell us? Um, uh, Heath Cadell is an angry person. Me. That's my name, by the way. And I remember having a conversation not too long ago with a friend of my, pastor friend of mine, and we were just talking about stuff in our life, and I was just saying, hey, this is, you know, something that I deal with. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I just don't understand how this could be the reality, because to you and to everyone else, I am super nice, right? Right? Hopefully. If I've offended you, come to me after the service, and I'll rectify that. But inwardly... I have anger issues and have had anger issues. And um, Judy and I have been married for 23 years. Um, and I'm just going to tell you, if you're not married and you have sin issues that are unexposed, marriage will help bring those things to the surface. And if you've navigated that well and then you have children, children will bring those things to the surface. And so on and so forth. We cannot hide the things that are inside of us. And, and this is partly what today is. We are a people, because of fear and shame, we hide the things that are literally killing us. And I would hide the anger that I would have. And um, I wasn't, it, it began, okay, the story that I'm going to tell, I, I did not physically abuse my wife, okay? I did put a hole in a wall, you know, for Andy Bernard people, office fans. <laughs> Went to angle therapy. Um, but Jody and I probably, this was 17 years ago. Uh, we were living back in Pinehurst. I was a youth pastor. I was in ministry, you know, like got my life together and all my issues are fixed. And um, we got in a discussion at night. Let me just, married couples, married couples. Find a safe word that you can say when it's past 10 o'clock and the discussion starts that we need to hold this until tomorrow because I don't know about anybody else, but there's no discussion after 10 o'clock that ever goes well. <laughs> can I get an amen? amen? It doesn't. So we need a safe word that we can both agree on, whether it's pineapple or penguin or whatever, that it's like, okay, this, we need to bring this back. But I tell that to people and I, I don't learn. And so we got into a discussion. I don't even know what it was about. And it would build. And I, I don't know if you've had those discussions where you're laying in bed and you're just like, you're stewing and you want the other person to know that you're stewing. So you move in the bed. So like if they may have fallen asleep, they're back awake. And I, I just get more and more frustrated. And, and I remember getting up out of the bed and we're, I don't even, again, I don't know what we're talking about or I would tell you what we were arguing about, but we were frustrated. And I just, I just like it consumed me. And I was like, ah, and I just like tapped the wall. And I must hit it in the perfect spot. And my, oh, my, the, the fat part of my hand just made a hole in the wall. And like, immediately, 
the humbling experience of my sin is now exposed because there's a hole in the wall. You know, it brought all the, I don't even, like, that ended our discussion. I was like, oh my gosh, I am a horrible person. I have just, and I, I mean, I was an angry child. I have punched many a hole in the wall. I have bloodied my knuckles getting angry and hitting things. And I thought I'd gotten some of this stuff under control, and it was there under the surface in hole in the wall. And I went out to the garage to cover my sin and got the putty. It wasn't painted by the morning, but that hole was gone. <laughs> but it brought to the realization that I don't have things under control. And I'm a big proponent, if you've heard me talk about this, like I have people in my life today that are very aware of all the things, all the issues, all the things that lie under the surface of me to ask me questions. I've had accountability partners for as long as I've been in ministry, whether it's been my senior pastor, whether it's been friends, whether it's been a local pastor here, that we, we together, like just, we don't hide these things in our lives because the things hidden in our lives, even in ministry, that you think, oh, I don't want people, I should be better, I should know better, they destroy us from the inside out. But we can't handle it. The sin that you're hiding right now, whether it's anger, whether it's what you look at on the internet or on your phone or whether it's conversations that you shouldn't be having with someone else, whether it is um, you taking things, stealing things, whatever it may be, that hidden thing that I believe right now and through this whole sermon, the Holy Spirit's going to... It's destroying you, and as it destroys you, it will destroy every relationship that you're connected to. Because... It won't allow us to rest in that peace that God wants us to rest in because we're afraid of him. I, I want to recap this, it, it, one and two. Jesus is inviting us into a blessed life. And again, the blessed life is not, you know, he's going to bless your finances, which he may. It's not this big old car and this big old house. It is a connection, an intimacy, a <laughs> Ability to be in his presence, peace. And the path is unexpected. If you want to be blessed, like we said earlier, step one is humility, which is hard. And it's something you're going to have to revisit over and over again because we don't want to live there necessarily. Choosing humility over pride. God, I need you. Step two, brokenness. Choose brokenness over denial. God, I am guilty and I'm sorry for the pain and suffering I have caused. Last week, we talked about the prodigal son because we want to have a picture of who God is. And Jesus, to communicate who God is, tells this story of the prodigal son, of, of this father who has two sons. And one son tells the father, I want what's coming to me. He gives it to him. He runs away. He blows it. All, the, his, all his inheritance, he, he ruins it in, in horrible living. Starts working for a pig farmer, feeding the farmer, and he comes to himself and realizes that it's better to be a servant in my father's house than to live like this. And he goes home, he practices this um, uh, confession that he's going to have to the father and tells him, I'm not worthy. And the father welcomes him, loves him, he's waiting for him. He sees him from afar, he runs to him, he loves him. His son, And then we get this picture of this other son, which we all ignore in Christianity because we love the religious. Because most of us are. (laughs) 
And the older brother that's done everything right and is his perfect in his own eyes is angry because the father's doing this and, and the father's inviting him into his celebration. And the older brother in anger doesn't want to do that. See, there's two types of confessions in Luke 15. The first one we see in Luke 15, 21 is brokenness. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He was mourning his sin. He was mourning what happened to him and was willing to not even take an identity, like Don just said, of being a child. He was just saying, can I be in your house enough to get food in my stomach? Like, I'm not even worthy to be in that position. The father, of course, ignored him, put the robe on him, the ring on him, the shoes on him, had a celebration. That was brokenness. And then we have Luke 15, 28 through 30, we have denial. But he was angry, the older brother, and refused to go in. And his father came out to him. The, the older brother wasn't coming in. I'm sure someone said the older brother's here and he's not coming in, so the, which is hugely disrespectful. And the father himself leaves the party, leaves the celebration to go confront the older brother, but not because he wants to punish him. He wants him to enter in to the celebration. He came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And look at this lie he's getting ready to tell. And I have never disobeyed your command. Okay, children. children, Even the good children. Even the ones that you're like, they're my best. Never? Never? Can any of you? I can't say that. And you know that's not true. He never disobeyed your camp. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Noticing that his celebration, and I'm just, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's leading here. The celebration's not with his father. The celebration's separate. The celebration he wants is with his friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. His pride and religion was keeping him from the blessing of the Father. Jesus did the work for me. My service is not out of obligation to get God to like me. My service is motivated by my love for God that has already given everything for me. See, brokenness leads... To forgiveness, to healing, to restoration, and to new life. When I'm broken over my sin in my life, in the pain that is caused, I am motivated to press into God and invite Him to produce chains. His life in me. I'm tired of living a double life. I'm tired of being a hypocrite. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of failing to change. And I'm tired of not being truly known. Denial creates more pain, creates more hypocrisy, creates more shame, and destroys our relationships. See, the church should be a safe place to come out of hiding, but let's just be honest. For the most part, it isn't. For the most part, even though you may be wrecked with guilt and shame because of a sin that you're encountering right now, you feel that this would be the place 
that would shame you more. Which I, 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 I confess, at, not as reach, but as churches in general, that has become the case in a lot. That we shame people when God wants to set them free. See, as long as I hide my sin, I am a slave to it. Paul is going to have a hard conversation with the Corinthians. But, well, mostly kind of asking forgiveness, but not really because what happens. But in 2 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 7, 6 through 11, Paul has written a pretty aggressive letter to them in 1 Corinthians because he sees the issues that are going on and he's not going to just like, oh, it's no big deal. He was like, this is a big deal and it needs to change. And he was... T- Given it to them. But look, look at this. In verse 6. It says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for, for me... So that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, talking about the other letter that he'd already written him, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. You ever say things that you know are going to be painful to other people, and even though it, you know that it could produce some change, it still hurts you because it's hurting them. Although I... Did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved. He wasn't trying to guilt them. He wasn't trying to shame them. But because you were grieved into repentance. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And this is a great verse if you're looking for verses to memorize in your um, weekly kind of connection to the Father. Verse 10 is a great one. It says, For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief leads us to a comforting Savior. That heals, restores, and helps. Godly or worldly grief, the shame that we put on people, not we in general, but other people put on people, leads where? To death. Verse 11, it says, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness... To clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. It brought them to a place of healing and comfort. Let's go back into the Old Testament, comparing Saul and David. Saul was the first king. The the people of Israel wanted so much to be like everyone else. They begged God to give them a king instead of just allowing and surrendering to the lordship of God and be led by him. And God gave them what they wanted. And their first king was Saul. And 
um, although he looked to be a great candidate, it didn't turn out to be so. Saul was faced by an obstacle that was overwhelming. I mean, there was an army that exceeded his um, physical ability to defeat them. And, and Samuel, the prophet, tells him to wait. And then he's going to come and he, he's going to pray and, and, and they're going to figure out what's going on. And, 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 and Saul sees and hears that these armies are building on his side and he doesn't trust that Samuel's going to be there and he does something that he shouldn't have done. He tries to get the blessing on his own. He tries to do the religious thing so that God would bless him. Not because he loved and wanted to connect with the Father, but he wanted to use his connection with the Father to bring victory. <clears throat> but he didn't want to wait. In First uh, Samuel thirteen thirteen through forty, Samuel comes back, and this was this was the consequence of Saul's action. And Samuel said to Saul, "You have done foolishly." You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. That's what God was going to do through Saul. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. And all Saul did was blame Samuel for not being there. Like that, he just, he just gave excuses of why he did the thing that he knew he shouldn't have done. You fast forward a little bit later, we get David, and we know David. If you are familiar with the stories of David, David did things that on the surface seemed a lot worse. David had an affair. And when his affair was going to be found out because he got the woman that he had an affair with pregnant, he had her husband murdered. Murdered. I mean, this is God's second candidate to be after his own heart. But there was a difference between Saul and David. When the prophet came to David, he didn't blame anyone else. He took responsibility and repented and confessed of his sin. And listen to this. David wrote these words in Psalms 32, starting in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no quality. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, when I hid these things, my bones wasted away, though my, groan, though my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon, you, upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I confess 
my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let anyone, everyone, who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not, they shall not reach him. Here's a person, and the difference between these two people, one made an excuse and hid. He didn't confess, he didn't repent, he didn't say, I did this horrible thing. But you have David, on the other hand, who when he was confronted, confessed. And then he writes these words of this promise. And, and, and the one thing that you have to understand is God hasn't changed. The same God who gave mercy and comforted in the Old Testament is the same God that's presented through Jesus in the New Testament. The same one that wrote these words, spoke these words at the beginning of his first sermon, talking about how to be blessed. And that first one was, or second one that we're doing today is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So how does Jesus respond to brokenness? In Matthew 9, he sees these people and he says they're harassed. And they're, they're sheep without a shepherd. And he didn't get angry at their stupidity or what they've done or that they've left the sheepfold or whatever. He was moved with compassion. When God looks at your sin and the pain that it causes you and others, he is moved with compassion. Because he doesn't want you to be slave there anymore. What happened to the woman caught in adultery? After he told the people that whoever has no sin to cast the first stone and all the people from oldest first down to the youngest left, he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Starting in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. This is who we serve. And I think I have verse 10 up there, and it's actually verse 9 on this next verse. I found that in my notes later. First um, John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James five sixteen it says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is great and powerful. I don't think you can get to step two brokenness without humility. And I'm not talking about brokenness in a sense of we've gotten caught and now we feel bad and there's shame associated to getting caught. I'm talking about choosing to confess our brokenness now. There's things 
in your lives. There's things in my life that God is still trying to work in me. Has anger completely left? No, it's there. But I'm aware of it and very much interested in it not being controlling my life. And there's sin issues in our life that we have to, if we want the connection, which we desire, if we want that connection to the Father, we can't live in this place. Either you, I forget who wrote this, but either you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So if we want this place of blessing, if we want it, and I, I believe, honestly, every single person that you encounter has a struggle because they want to be connected to the Father. They want to be accepted. They want to be loved. And most of our issues is because either we haven't made that connection or we're unwilling to let go of the things that are trapping us. And so today, just like last week, we're going to have a prayer for brokenness. That I'm going to pray, you can pray with me, you can pray silently about it, but there's things in your life that if you allow to continue there, will cause you pain and will hurt others. And today can be a day that you step out of those things. Today can be a day that you get the beginning of a lifetime of freedom. And we have prayer people that are going to be at the back of our service. I'll be hanging around afterwards if you want to talk about it. I, we need, there, there is, and I love this, James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray with one another that you may be healed. There's a confession and a freedom that happens when we speak the words that are going on in our hearts. And let me, let, let, me, let me classify this. These are trusted people. I, I don't say, hey, go confess your sin to just anybody. There's, we all need people in our life that we can, when we need to, speak what's actually going on in our life. People that love us in spite of our shortcomings, which will happen. So I'm going to read this prayer, um, and then I'm going to pray for us. Our worship team is going to come back up. But I just encourage you, whatever's going on in you, keeping it inside of you, you won't fix it. And one day you'll put your hand in the wall through the sheetrock, or one day you'll go a little too far because you thought you can control it and it's not that big a deal. And it'll cause you more pain and it'll hurt those who love you. Or today, we can make a commitment internally that moves externally. And then we can invite other people into that commitment. And we can begin to walk out freedom. So here's the prayer. Father, today, we confess we have sinned against you. We acknowledge our sin has hurt you and those we love. God we are sorry for the mess that we have created and the pain that we have caused. Holy Spirit, please produce in us a godly sorrow. We choose today to repent. We turn away from our sin and choose life. 
Jesus produce in us a greater desire for you than our desire for anything else in this world. We can see now that our sin was destroying us. But you came to give us life. We trust you to lead us into healing, freedom, and blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.